0: You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 197, Interview with Shelley Buck and Kathy Curtis, authors of Leave Your Light On. To today's episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Chelsea Robson, and I am your host for today's episode. In 2020, Disney Plus released a mini series behind the scenes of the making of Frozen 2. While I watched it, they mentioned that one of the co directors, Chris Buck, had lost his son during the making of Frozen. I was stunned. If you are a longtime fan of us here, then you will know that we covered the making of Frozen heavily in 2013. I didn't know this part of the history. I had a chance to read the book, leave your light on written by Chris's wife. And she was gracious enough to come on for this interview. I'd like to say that this covers the human side of this cartoon. This book covers the raw emotions that she went through while her husband was at work creating frozen. What was happening at home with her and her son and her kids. And you know, it was the, the book itself is beautiful. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully laid out. Um, it's also incredibly tragic, but at the same time, hopeful. And as it is mentioned later on, I really do agree and feel like you come out a better person having read it. So because of that, I am grateful to have her on today, and I'm grateful to be able to share this interview. Make sure to stay tuned till the very end, because I will be going through and sharing some of my plans for 2021, as well as an additional research if you'd like to know more about this book. All right, here we go. I'm really glad to have both of you guys on today. So for everybody listening, I'm just going to go ahead and start. Shelly and Kathy were co-writers as well as writer Shelly's son with the book, Leave Your Light On, the musical mantra left behind by an illuminating spirit. And I was able to read this book and it was, it's definitely something that adds a lot of depth. Just to give a little bit of a, of a synopsis of this, while the movie frozen was being produced shelly and chris buck chris is the co-director of frozen their son he was diagnosed with cancer went through cancer treatments would you say he was he was cleared
1: yeah he was cleared in may of 2013
0: he had been cleared of of cancer but then he was tragically killed in a car accident and so this is her story And also writer's story as well as their family story. And and it was beautiful because it was also, you know, that it was a a celebration of his life as well as a connection of how everybody deals with the trauma of losing someone as well as going through something like cancer treatments and realization of mortality, I would say. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I'd like to start out with is, Kathy, as you have been helping Shelly, what would you say your role in this was?
2: Well, it was um, partly a co-author because what Shelly had done is she had put together a journal. She had been keeping a journal all through the cancer treatment with, you know, the writer went Mm -hmm. through. And then after his passing, she continued to write in her journal about her grief. And so someone had had read all that and said, you really should write a book, Mm -hmm. but she needed to put it into more of a story, a, a narrative, than mm-hmm. journal form. And because I'm a writer and I had written other books and I have a, a background in grief, um, it was, and I'm her best friend and I know the <laughs> family well. I mean, it was like, <laughs> we're all connected deeply. Was, yeah, it was really kind of destiny that my life had prepared me to show up at her door at the moment she needed me more than ever right but I think you know I'll tell you that we we were best friends from the time we were 12 and we've lived apart our entire adult lives but we've always been you know in touch but during the writing of the book we were on the phone every single day for two years right a lot a lot and so any grief that continued to be you know need to be cleared. I think it was really good for her to have me there walking that path with her. So
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can totally see that for sure. So Shelly, as you are going through and writing this, you've created all these, you have all these journals, you have all this information. What was the moment where, where you decided that you're like, okay, this is going to be a way that I can Uh, process my emotions and also just process this time period. Like what was the, that decision like?
1: Mm. Well, uh, the idea of the book, as Kathy said, had been floated by several people and I was a little reluctant. It, it seemed like a monumental um, chore. Uh, But then um, this was a few years after my son had passed and Writer got in touch with me through a friend who receives messages from the other side mm-hmm. and said, "Mom, write my story." So that was the tipping point. That was what made me say, "Okay, this has to be done." And then, um, I reached out, well, I reached out to Kathy in kind of a funny way. I had no idea who I was going to get to co-author the book. And she just said the obvious, which was, what about me? You know, and I was <laughs> like, OK, that was stupid. But yes, of <laughs> course. Um, so we started we started on that journey and it became um, a healing process. The the journaling had been very, very good for me. But the writing of the book became um, extremely cathartic and healing and with Kathy's deft touch we were able to work through a lot of the trauma so does that answer your question
0: yeah no for sure um so when you're when you're going through and making this and putting this all on uh paper it's I mean I'll just say I how it was constructed was very well done. I mean the you start off and you're reading it as though you're right in this fight with you, but then halfway through the book, it starts hitting you with the fact that this isn't going to end well. Um, uh, cause you're starting to hear you're, you're reading your story of the fight to continue, but also the fact that he, he has died. And so you have different pieces from other friends as they've you know, give their memorial to him as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first it's just, it's jarring because you, you're you so in this moment with you and, but you're also confronted with the fact that it's not going to end the way you want it. But um, I'm going to tell you like the whole last third of the book, I'm just here crying with you just because it is hmm. it is so beautiful. Uh, you, I loved how you were able to be very raw with the fact that, you know, especially when working through cancer, you have day ups and down days uh right. on, on both sides, on all sides. You know, everybody, the person, and not just with cancer, but I think any type of severe medical treatment, uh, you're dealing with a lot of things that aren't natural. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of shifts in, in your moods and, and everything. So right. I appreciated that you were able to leave those things in uh because to me it also read that you know, the empathy that we all have for each other. We can, we can have for each other, even though we may be going through difficult times. Chris has done several movies and each one I'm sure has memories that are attached. But as far as like, when you're, when you're thinking of Frozen, what are some of the, the main memories that come to mind? Thinking, knowing that so many of these were intertwined.
1: Mm. Well, see, Frozen brought up, he did some travel to, to, to places north and ice castles and, um, you know, not physically, but brought us along on those. And we got the sense of the environment, the realization of Elsa that she needed to obviously let it go. And that Mm -hmm. became a catchphrase for our lives and around the world. I mean right. it was it was very timely it was something that people needed to hear and I think that's why it caught on uh, that was that was a, a big part of it there were little things like Sven being modeled after our golden retriever and oh, <laughs> yeah you know his behavior was that of a big dog so mm-hmm. that kind of made it personal yeah
0: all right so during all of this writer has is still alive during most all of this, except Mm -hmm. for the very, very, very end. I just found it very interesting because there was one story where Chris talks about over the Christmas before, you know, before he died, how he had been home a lot and he was able to have a a swimming time. Like you went out and was in the pool with him a little bit. Right. What were some of the, the best memories that you can remember through that as well?
1: Well, During Ryder's cancer treatment, I was with him every day in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, He was in one week and outpatient for two weeks. And the time I had in the hospital with him, he would play his guitar, write new music. We'd watch videos of his favorite bands. And then I knew I always knew that when I left around six or seven o'clock, Chris was coming from work to spend a few hours of the evening with Ryder. This was tough because he was working seven days a week during this time. So when he got time off that Christmas of 2012, it was a real respite and and he made the most of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Spending time with the boys and just being a great dad and a great husband. But Ryder and I, we had our times during the cancer treatment where You know, he pushed away. It wasn't Mm -hmm. always that I was welcome in the room. When he was outpatient, he was off and running and going up the coast and up to the mountains and down to the beach. And I had to learn to let go. And that was a tough one. As a mother, as a mother of a son who's facing a life-threatening disease, I wanted to be with him all the time. And the only time I was really able to do that was when he was in the hospital. So we spent as much time as we could together, but when he was home, he wanted to get away from the cancer house and the cancer mom (laughs) and uh, he took off.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I completely understand. Um, My, my dad went through cancer uh, twice, two bouts uh, with it for a while. And so you can definitely see, you know, how, There's a lot of emotions that go into that and not just for the person, but for everyone surrounding them. So I can definitely see how both sides were shifting. I was very, I was really moved with things that he would do while he was away from you, even though maybe it was difficult for you because he was fighting the cancer house, as you put it. But when he was off and running also, as you put it, like the, the, the little memories that his friends put in there were really touching. He was definitely a very special person. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful to see even through that, your the close-knit structure of your family was is also very evident. And yes. it's wonderful to see. Oh, thank and you. I mean, there was another thing that I noticed that you mentioned several times how Ryder had changed like spiritually as he was going through. Like That was one of his major transformations during this time. Did you notice that while he was going through it, or was this a something that you noticed after?
1: Oh, no. It was while he was going through it. He was writing and playing songs that had to do with dying, and he always took a library of books with him to the hospital, many of them spiritual books. And so he was reading and studying the great teachers, the great spiritual teachers, Mm -hmm. and he would talk about it and recommend books to us. Then he went to Bali his last summer after Mm -hmm. he'd been cleared and really immersed himself in their culture, their belief system, the mellowness, the generosity of their culture. And he came home A different man. He had grown and done so much introspection and meditation that it was palpable in the house. You could really tell. And he wanted even more of a calm environment, which was difficult to achieve. I'm high energy. (laughs) My youngest son is a tornado. And for Ryder to come into the house with it, just almost chaotic. I mean, Chris is very calm. But the household was not quiet, was not a place where you could just meditate. I mean, sometimes he'd go out back into uh, a circle of trees and stones and play his guitar or meditate. But often he just left the house to find that, that quiet space. And I was learning, as I have been his entire life to chill. That was what he would say (laughs) to me constantly, chill mom. And he still does. When I get worried or frustrated about something, um, I hear his voice say, you know, with a laugh, chill mom, you know, it's all going to be fine. (laughs) And that was his mantra and his way of being in the world.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So looking forward, when I I
0: also felt like this was a really great Book, especially for people who may be going through something similar. Do you get a lot of people coming up to you with that saying that it has helped you or they've read it during a a similar time period?
1: Well, we have had a lot of wonderful feedback. How you know people have come to kind of spiritual awakenings that they've been comforted, or Kathy could speak more to the process of writing and reading as a healing tool. That's what Mm -hmm. she does. But I found that we got we've gotten a lot of a lot of response as far as this being an uplifting book, though it sounds like it could be depressing talking about cancer and death. It's ultimately an optimistic, hopeful, inspirational book. That's what we wanted to put out there was something that could lift people up and help them find their own light. I love it. Yes.
0: So Kathy, we have a lot of people who, who listen to the podcast who are in the industry, animation, or they're just storytellers themselves. And I know that both of you are storytellers. Uh, you mentioned how you met Chris while working at Disney because you right. loved storytelling as well. And what are some of the things, if somebody is going through a difficult time, how have you helped different people use their stories to move through uh, grief, trauma,
2: etc. Um, etc. <laughs> <laughs> et yeah, uh, you know, I I do a writing program for people that are going through grief, and more than anything, my approach has been not so much to help them tell the, a story like in a book, but more to to write to their loved one who has died about what it was like, Mm -hmm. to, you know, go through the trauma of the loss, to imagine their life without that loved one in it, to, um, it's it's like, the things that happen to us get trapped in our bodies. You know, when we go through a loss, we go through pain of any kind, we tend to hold a lot of it in in our bodies. And what writing does is it really allows you through the power of words to let that trauma out and let the pain out. And when you can get it on paper, you can think about it differently and process it differently. So that's kind of been my background, which actually, you know, I had lost my mom to cancer and I, I wrote to her just because I wanted to clear my, my emotional, you know, being out a little bit because I was holding so much of that pain in. But then I allowed her to write back to me um, Mm. just through kind of a spiritual leap of faith that I was hearing from her. And it was very, very, very healing, like profoundly healing. And so the journey that we go through when we lose someone, I think we really um, accelerate our healing when we can lift into that spiritual realm. Like I think right. that's part of what we're being taught about mm-hmm. the mortality, you know, is it really the end? I don't think so. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. Um, I personally agree. Uh, so, so as you're, you're working with different people, maybe they didn't lose somebody, maybe they're just going through a really difficult time uh, for whatever reason, maybe the world around them just seems smaller than what it has felt in the past. What
2: are some ways that they can get behind that or ahead of that or around ahead of that? Well, for one thing, you know, there's just so much scientific evidence that number one, if you're feeling awful, and you sit down and write about it, and write it honestly like say exactly what you feel it it you get a release of chemicals from your brain that make you feel better right then and there like right then and there it's like a a drug kind of Mm -hmm. but it also it's like it creates a flow of energy that allows you to move it out and move it out and move it out and one of the things that i love telling is about this group of um like 50 something men from england who had all been job eliminated from a job they had had forever they never thought they would have to look for another job Mm -hmm. and they did a study and they had a third of them men write about exactly what was going on like what their pain was what their fear was all that they had a group of men that just wrote things like I had a hamburger today at lunch you know just kind of trivial then they had a group that didn't write anything the group that wrote about their feelings and how about how they really felt found not just better you know a job but a better job way faster than the other people. So there's proof that we can affect change in our lives by just expressing, you know, by writing about it. So anyway, I think there's a lot of power in that and you don't have to go anywhere. You can take a piece of paper and a pen and, and automatically find comfort and find um, it's just inspiration. You may find that what comes out on the paper, you wouldn't have thought about in your head. It's just something mm-hmm. different happens when you do that writing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I write music as my main profession and I'll, I'll help people write like customs, like songs for the, like memorials or for you know, wow. a loved one of some kind. And I do find that, you know, sometimes what I'll have them do is I'll have them I'll give them a, like a questionnaire and just say, fill it out as much as you can. And then there's always that, you know, that group of people that fill out one word or two word answers. And I'm like, you're not helping. Yeah. <laughs> you're not helping anyone. Um, right. And then you have the other side, which, you know, they are able to just you know, write as they, as they speak. And, you know, going from that, it's a whole lot easier to actually turn it into something more with more depth. What do you think keeps people from writing that extra step or going, like going from the one word answers to be able to expound?
2: Well, I, I feel that a lot of, a lot of our, you know, what we've inherited as people is the fear of our feelings You know, we're afraid of them, we bury them under the carpet, you know, we're not encouraged to express emotionally. And there's, um, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were telling me that, you know, when a baby is crying, you know, a parent oftentimes wants to say, no, 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 stop crying, you know, but it's really the crying that heals them, whatever's going on for Mm -hmm. them, the crying heals them. So the same thing is true when we're going through, I mean, grief, or, you know, any really difficult challenge, we shy away from that feeling. But in fact, when we move into it, when we lean into it and feel it, we come out of it. Mm -hmm. But we can't come out of it until we do that. So mm-hmm. I think it's really fear and I don't blame people for being afraid, that's kind of how we've been conditioned. But, um, you know, I admire what you're doing and I totally get what you're saying about people who just wanna give you the one word answer. Mm-hmm. But um, I, cause I, I, I do writing prompts, you know for people that are going through my programs and I, here's what might help you actually. I lead a little bit of quiet meditation before and I don't know if you're meeting with people one-on-one or in person, but when you can get people to clear their mind and calm their body and just get into a really quiet place, they are far more open to allowing what comes through to come out. That might help. I will look into that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, Shelly, when you were able to work
0: with Kathy, what were some of the hurdles uh, of going from you know you've had this type of manuscript and now you're moving into maybe the next realm of of actually printing it and getting it out?
1: Mm. Well, first it was the organization of the book because I had a linear timeline that didn't really serve the narrative version of the book, so mm-hmm. we. We mix things around. I mean, you find out early in the book that Ryder has passed, but then we flash back to times going through the cancer and stories from friends, and that was a big one for me, um, letting go of the timeline because I wanted it to be as authentic as I wrote it in the first place, and it took me a while to see that it served the story better to jumble it around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there were things that we had to take out of the book because it didn't serve the story Mm -hmm. as well. And with Kathy's deft touch, I managed to grow through that and be able to let go of some things. And that was difficult. The process of actually putting the book together beyond what we were doing together. We worked with a publisher of sorts and they had input. They wanted to design the cover, which we did ourselves. They helped us reorganize and move through the process of actually putting a book out there. And it had its hurdles, but Kathy and I got through it and mostly with her lead.
0: This wasn't self-published. You went through a, an actual publishing company. No,
1: it was self-published, but okay. we went through a company that that um helped us get it to publication. I did write to 600 agents. Oh, wow. Um with <laughs> yes, early on and that went nowhere, but I had covered all the ground I could possibly cover and when that went nowhere, we just decided we'll just go forward. This is a book Mm -hmm. that has to be written and has to be published. And I set up um, our own um, publication company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we released it with the help of uh, book launchers, who was who was the company that we used to, to help us process the whole thing.
0: I feel like especially today, it may seem like it's easier to get your book published, which it is because the distribution channels are open to really anybody. Uh, but it's also when you're doing it on your own, you you actually really come to see how much goes into creating a book. And it is both easier and harder <laughs> because <laughs> when you're the one doing it, you actually have to go through and do every step. What are some things that you would say as far as if you're talking to somebody and they were thinking about going through and and publishing their book? uh, what, What would be some things that you would tell them to do?
1: I would tell them to definitely get professional help in putting their story together. It really does make a difference because you're myopic as a single author. Of course, I had Kathy all along the way, but this company also helped us see the broader picture. So getting help and putting the story together is paramount as far as I'm concerned.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some of the major takeaways from this process that you've had?
1: Well, working with the theme of the book, which is to leave your light on, I've learned from being in touch with Ryder and his light that it fed my own And kind of brought me back out of the darkness. So the writing process and contact with my son brought me the ability to face life again. Mm -hmm. Um, After he passed, I didn't want to live. But I had two other children and a husband. And there was never any question about it. It was just what I had to do was one step in front of the other. But Ryder helped substantially with that by coming through and communicating, and giving us signs. Several of them are in the book. Mm -hmm. I learned the process Kathy teaches or lives, leads, and that it really brought me around and back to my own light. That's beautiful. And
0: Kathy, as far as this project, what are some of the major takeaways you've had?
2: Oh, boy. Um, Well, you know, being being spiritual and and having definitely being open to the spiritual realm and feeling writer in my life every day well I mean I've always known him and I've always loved him but you know the writing of the book put him kind of at my side every day all day for a long long time and I know that I've been affected by that I know that I'm I'm more chill than I was (laughs) before. And, you know, one of the most charming elements of Ryder to me is the fact that he he was such a range of, you know, just incredibly wise and spiritual and warm and loving and exasperating and aggravating and (laughs) pain in the butt i mean he could be all that but he he did it all with this kind of joy Mm -hmm. like he didn't try to hide parts of himself and just show the best he did it all and that that is really the nature of his light that's why i think it is so bright and why people maybe are moved by the book because they're seeing you know we all worry so much about, am I good enough? Am I enough? Do I, you know, should I change this? Because it's not really that great of a clock. It's like, we just have to be more fully who we are. And that's all we really have to do. If we do it with good intentions, you know, we're good to go. So anyway, that's really a wonderful takeaway from a young guy who, you know, I have friends that are my age that have said, you know, I feel like I'm a better person now that I've read this book. And I think that's what it is, is that mm-hmm. I feel like more of who I am. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I
0: I agree. I mean, as difficult as it is to go through that with someone, because you really do feel like you're going through it with you. And um, as difficult as that is, because it does bring up quite a bit, especially if, if anybody has any connections to um, their own story with within that, there is definitely going to bring up other things. Uh, but I think having, you know, going through it is another way to help you get through your own spiritual tasks, I guess, because <laughs> yeah. there is a, there is a task list that I think we all have to kind of get through. Um, I, I, am also reading this other book. It's, uh, called, um, feelings buried alive, never die. And it's, you know, the, even just that, like, oh, that
2: title
0: the title. Yes. So it's um, there's, there's so much that can be done through this discovery that you both are uh, Kathy, that you're helping other peoples. And also Shelly that, you know, even though you're not actively going out as Kathy is and helping people by doing it, you are helping people do that same thing. Um, Definitely. So I do know or at least, from what was told in some of the background stories on Frozen Two, they said that the uh, the next right step was r- written somehow connect in connection to his story. Can I get your side of that story as well?
1: Well, um it's the next right thing, and oh yes yeah, um well, Frozen Two, of course, was six years after Ryder had passed, and I didn't know the song until I saw the screening of the movie in the mm. in the um the celebration, the rap party. And I was moved to tears and I leaned over to Chris and I said, Was this on purpose? Was this for me? And um he said, Yes, of course. Writer was writer was part of the inspiration for that song um, because of what we had gone through and because everyone on the crew, including the songwriters Mm -hmm. knew and lived it with us. um, That, that song um, really epitomizes what I had to do from the very beginning was just take the next step, do the next right thing. And that's how I got through the first many, many months of my grief, was to just put one foot in front of the other and pick up the ball. Like I said, I had two other sons. They needed me. And there was plenty to do when I felt paralyzed at first. But um, yeah, this the song was really, really inspirational um, after the fact. Of course.
0: I wanted to say thank you both for coming on to the Rotoscopers podcast today. I've really enjoyed this whole session. Um being able to, I I want to be able to respect your guys' time and just say thank you once again for not only for your for your story um right today, but also for having written the books and for having been so open with everything because I honestly believe that it's through those the sharing of hard truths that we're all able to grow a little closer you know because we've all been able to experience some level of something along those lines and Mm -hmm. um so I just wanted to say thank you uh for both of you for for coming on today thank you thank you for
2: having us we appreciate it
0: yeah Shelley tell Chris rotoscopers said hi (laughs) Uh
1: i will do that
0: (laughs) hopefully he'll remember us (laughs) oh
1: i'm sure he will (laughs) all right
0: well have a wonderful day and we will talk to you again soon all right Um, thanks so much chelsea thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. And I wanted to thank again, Shelly Buck and Kathy Curtis for joining me. I know I got a lot out of it and I hope you guys did too. All right. So you guys want to know a little bit of what's planning to happen in 2021. Well, first let's start off with a recap of 2020. No, We're not going to go into the craziness of that, but I will say that in the nine years since we started in 2012, The rotoscopers.com website has never skipped a beat. We have been full-fledged for the last nine years and we have amazing writers and columnists on there and we are so glad and grateful for them. Like seriously, it's amazing. Even though, you know, you had so many things, all of the movie industry, everything like shifted and every movie is, you know, who knows what's happening. Well, the rotoscopers.com calendar knows it all. (laughs) and I'm very impressed by this because if you have any question about any animated movie that's coming out, that is going to be on that. You know, we are still updating that all the time. So make sure to check that out. Don't ever forget about the website. That one is and always has gone strong. All right. For the podcast. Well, we started back up again in 2020, which is kind of a weird year to get started up again (laughs) after being on hiatus for a couple. But we decided that we were going to, you know, start up and we did. And we've had great episodes, you know, from then until now. And And we have still great episodes coming and planned. There is a little bit of a, of a thing that we'd like to, you know, ask a little bit of patience on first off. uh, Morgan is about to have baby number three. So her life is about to get really crazy. And that just means like, once again, we just need a little bit of patience from you guys as far as the uh, consistency of new episodes over the next couple of months. Both Morgan and I have some really cool things happening in our personal public lives. Uh, For example, if you are interested in hearing a full review of the book, Leave Your Light On and other books that I'm reading, I just started the Chelsea Robson IRL podcast. IRL meaning in real life. It's an internet speak thing and I'm not very creative. So that's just what I went with. Anyway, that's where I'm at. So the Chelsea Robson IRL podcast, and that is going to be where I I talk about creating incomes via side hustles, as well as self-improvement, and also share stories behind my custom songs in a series I call Share the Love. And if you want more information, you just go to ChelseaRobson.com. Morgan just launched a program to help people who want to start a YouTube channel and create a business from it. You can learn more about that and even get on the wait list for the next time it opens up at morganstraddling.com. So you see, we've got lots of things going on and we are still just trying to kind of figure out our, our catcher bearings and figure out how we're gonna make everything fit. So we're glad to have you and we're excited for this new year. And I know that, I know that it, it's hard to think, oh, 2020 was crazy, 2021 already crazy. But here's a quote that I really liked that is helping me in my day-to-day. It's not what the year brings to you it's what you bring to the year. Make sure to act and not react. Those are the two main things. If you're able to take those two things and just say, you know what? Whatever comes this year doesn't matter. I mean, we've, we're have we agile and we're, we can get this thing going, um, whatever it is. Uh, so I hope that you guys have that attitude and that you're able to keep a positive outlook in everything that is happening right now and that you can be the one that acts and doesn't react. So Those are the main things that I wanted to leave with you guys on this episode. Once again, check out rotoscopers.com for all of your animation news, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us a- on youtube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news reviews and interviews
1: thanks for listening